All right, I was all over the place trying to decide which, which, which book of the Bible to go to next. I told you I was really leaning toward Acts, but then I recanted for now. Uh, and we're going to do 1 Timothy. All right? 1 Timothy, and probably right with it, we'll do 2 Timothy. Two pretty short letters to a guy named Timothy. And, uh, and we'll get into this. Now, uh, first time here, this is our Wednesday night Bible says. What we do is we take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse at a time, one after another, trying to teach the Bible in context, try to give you a, a greater sense and understanding of the Bible as a whole. Uh, we encourage you, uh, even though we use the big Bible in the sky up there so you can follow along, um, really encourage you bring your bibles with you on wednesday night because it's great for you to be able to look at the thing in context these guys said things the way they said them for a reason typically when you listen to sermons and stuff like on a sunday morning or most pastors when they pontificate will jump around and say well this verse says this and this verse over here says that and that's all fine and good but the truth is it wasn't written that way it was written for a reason. It's good to get it in context. And even when we're focusing on a particular verse, it's good for you to be able to look where we just were. Where are we heading? How does this all work? So let me encourage you. Bring, you know, you don't have to. We're not going to make fun of you if you don't. But I mean, I just, I just think that it would be great if you did. And you don't have to do one of those great big yo mama, you know, monster Bibles or something. You know? And if you don't have a Bible, stop in the bookstore. Get one. It'll be good for you. And if you can't afford one, Pastor Lathan will buy it for you. <laughs> he's made out of money <laughs> if you can't afford, I'm sure we'll figure something out for you we'll, we'll get you there but uh, good to have the scriptures by the way the Bible is not a good luck charm are you hearing me people say Bam, you know I, I got a Bible in the house well whoop de doo <laughs> it doesn't mean anything okay well I sleep with the Bible under my pillow at night who cares it doesn't do any good if you don't read it you've got to actually read it you say well i don't understand it that's why you're here all right so we'll help you through it it's really not all that hard to understand by and large the new testament there are parts that who knows what they're talking about and i always admit those to you and there's a couple of those here actually and uh, we'll we'll (laughs) do our best with them but uh, uh we'll see how it goes part of the problem actually is in some of these letters you're, you're hearing one side of a conversation. They're talking about something and he'll talk and he'll answer a question they had, but he didn't really repeat the question. You know what I'm talking about? So you're kind of going, what, 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 what is this? And, and I, just, I just move on. Okay, so we'll, we'll work it out. So here's, here he is writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy is, is a, a, a follower of Paul's. He's a young guy. Paul loved this guy. He was extremely devoted to the cause of Christ. He was someone that Paul had a lot of uh, faith and trust in. And he writes these letters to this young pastor and says to him, and gives him words of advice, nuggets of, of Christian truth that we can look at and, and build on and, and, and try and decide this is how we're going to model our Christian life, the way that we model our church um, after, after some of these teachings. So, let's start. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior, God called him to this, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he starts. He says, as I urged you, When I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so he's writing to him, he's stuck there in Ephesus, so that uh, you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. So he says, you're there for a reason. I left you there so you could straighten out some of these guys who are doing some of these wacky teachings that... Who knows what they're talking about? He says they were, they were talking, he calls them false doctrines, they were into these myths. He doesn't say what myths they were. I don't know what he's talking about. Okay, but we just know that they didn't have any basis in Christian faith. And these endless genealogies, well, who was the father of who was the father? You know, I don't know what they were doing, but just saying, these, he says these things promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Now, you can use that thinking for a great many things that, I have certainly heard in my life as a believer in Jesus Christ and churches, oftentimes you will hear people get into doctrines and stuff that really generate just more arguments than advancing the work of God. 
Now whether or not they all rise to the occasion of a false doctrine, we don't know. But the context, he calls them false doctrines and some of these other things. But the point was, they, don't, they, they promote controversies instead of God's work, which is by faith. And, and uh, I always try to encourage people, don't get caught up in things that do not matter. Uh, what's an example? You know, when is Jesus coming back? I don't know. If you know, think you know, you're a nutcase. Okay? You do not know. Nobody knows. And, and from time to time, and we haven't had a wave of this in too terrible recent history. But, you know, for those of you who've been Christians for a long, you know, 30, 40 years, you've heard these waves, you know, books come out, Jesus is coming back. And what was the last big one? 18, 1984 or something? Or 88? 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. I could think of one reason not to buy the book. Jesus said nobody will know. How any nitwit would assume that he's got 88 reasons that he knows. And why any moron bought the book. Some of you might be sitting here. I grant you absolution. Alright. Don't be so stupid. You don't know. Nobody knows. And uh, Arguing about things like, when is the rapture going to happen? I don't know. Some people don't think there will be a rapture. I don't know. I think the Bible says there is. I, it certainly talks about it to me. When is it going to happen? Yes, well, it'll happen before the Antichrist shows up. Will it happen midway through the tribulation? Will it happen at the end? I don't know. If I'm around, I hope it happens early. That's all I'm hoping. You know, I would love it to happen before I die. I would rather click out that way than. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd much rather go into rapture than die. Because I'm a girly man for the most part. But that's, that's, I hate pain. But who knows, nobody knows. Why are we fighting about, these are things that don't promote righteousness. You know, I'm just using that as a particular example. You know, you read uh, prophecies in, in the, in the uh, New Testament about, and even when Jesus spoke of this, is what will happen in the end time. And Paul wrote about this will happen in the end time. And Peter talked about that. It always ends with a phrase basically that says, therefore... Seeing what's going to come, what matter of lives we should live. That was the point. The point was, let's live righteous lives because Jack, it's going to hit the fan. Something's coming. Let's, and nobody knows when. Let's, that was the point of it. Not to fight about the prophecy. What does it mean? What is the book? Man, if you walk around with the book of Revelation and think you understand all that stuff, I don't think you do. I don't think anybody really does. I'm sure there's books that. They all claim that they do, but who cares? The point is, let's promote things that build a relationship with God, that builds faith. He says, the goal of this command, what command? The one I just told you. Quit telling them to teach all this nonsense. Which again, by the way, and I talked about this to our leaders on Saturday. We had a meeting. Uh, one of the goals of, that I have as a pastor is just, goodness gracious, let's keep all the wacky revelations out. There's a, there's a group of Christianity, it wouldn't surprise me if some of you are inclined to that way, a lot of people are, but they're all, they got itchy, the Bible says they have itchy ears. Ooh, 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 I want to hear something new, I want to hear something new, ooh, 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 ooh. and every time someone's got some great revelation, some new insight, that they have to explain in great detail, because first of all they have to explain to you why the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. Have you heard these? Well the Greek really means... Oh yeah, you spent all of 18 minutes with a Greek thesaurus. You know what Greek means. Well, the Greek really means... And they do all these contortionist things to explain why. And then they get all excited about some goofy doctrine. I hate that stuff. I just hate it. And I'm convinced these people with itching ears, they're bored with Jesus. They're bored with their relationship with God. They want something cool and jazzy to snatch them up. You know, I don't need that stuff. And I filter, I don't want it. I'm telling you, I am still thrilled with the revelation that Jesus loves me. I am overwhelmed with this. God still likes us. This is great. This is phenomenal. I don't need some insider ooey gooey thing that if we do, you know, oh man. A lot of stuff just gets people excited about nothing. And, and he says, look, the goal of this, don't get into all these controversies and weirdo things, because the command of this is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
This is the point. Let's motivate love. Let's, let's, let's focus on what really, really matters. Now he says, some have wandered away from these things and turned to meaningless talk. Again, I don't know exactly what he hints at it. You know, uh, false doctrine, I don't know what he's talking about. Myths, I don't know what he was talking about. The genealogies, I'm sure, I'm, again, I don't know what he's talking about. What, what was it they were getting sucked into? I'm sure somebody brilliant somewhere has this all figured out. Who cares? The point is, it was meaningless talk. And oftentimes people love to get caught up in things that don't matter. Things in the Bible that are just... My, you know, if it can't help me live my life. If what you've got to say, or some pastor has got to say, or some prophet or something has to say, can't help me walk more in love. Can't help me to be a more patient husband. Help me not to be such a jerk and insensitive to the people that I work with. Someone that can help me live a life that affects other people's lives. Then what's the point just to know stuff to know stuff? I, I don't understand that. And certainly uh, he tries to uh, get them to focus on what really matters. He says, these people, they want to be teachers of the law. But they do not know what they are talking about. Or what, what they so confidently affirm. They don't know what they're talking about. But they so love to do this stuff. Now, in this case, he's talking about teachers of the law. Very interesting verse, the next verse. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Now at first glance you think, wait a minute. Is this not the guy in Galatians who had a cow about people getting all caught up in the Old Testament law, right? I mean, for those of you who are in that study, he's one mad apostle. And he was brutal with these guys and quit doing us. And then all of a sudden you read, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Then what are you talking about, Paul? Well, he goes on to explain. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous... But for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So what he's trying to say is this. The great thing about the law, the, the hard don't do this and don't do that and you know, all this kind of stuff, is to reveal to us what is right and wrong. If it weren't for the law, Paul teaches, people wouldn't know what's right. Everybody would just make it up in their own mind. Kind of like most people in America. And really, that's what we do. You know. Well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. What may be true for you, it may not be true for me. And what you think is wrong for you isn't necessarily wrong for me. And let's face it, the Bible needs to grow and evolve. So when we say thou shalt not commit adultery, we say, well, thou shalt not commit adultery ordinarily. <laughs> this is the way these people think. And we have this, this when, when you come along as a Christian, I promise you, if people in America right now are hearing, because they don't care who I am, but if I was somewhat of consequence and I made this concept that there's real right and wrongs, they would just have a cow. <coughs> How can you say that? Because the Bible teaches that. There is right or wrong. There is truth. Now, we don't take truth and beat people to death with it. That's the key. We've got to teach people truth. We need to hold up a standard. Here's the standard of what's right and wrong. Okay? A lot of people don't meet that standard. Indeed, at one time... All of you did not meet the standard. You know, coming to Christ in faith and now he raises us up and we start walking in love and start doing the right things. So you don't beat people to death with, with what's right and wrong. You still got to love people. But just the fact that you mention anything right or wrong, people get very upset. You know, if you say, you know, that such and such is a sin or committing adultery is a sin. or this is a, Some people just have a fit about these things. How can you say that's hateful? That's hateful judgmental. No, it's not. It's just teaching the right thing. You've got to teach truth. You teach truth, but then you love people because no one has ever met all of God's standards. We're all sinners. We're all doomed, but for the grace of God. And he, what he's trying to say is the, the great thing about the law is you can use it to show people, look, without grace in your life, you're going to hell, quite frankly. Without God's grace in your life, you are doomed. Hey, well, do you actually believe in hell? Yeah. Yeah, there's a hell. There's a heaven and there's a hell. There's a God. There's a devil. There's good. There's bad. 
It really does exist. You say, well, I don't really believe that. I hope that works for you. <laughs> because if you're wrong, you're in for a very uncomfortable experience. Are you hearing me? The point of this is to show us that, look, without God in our lives, without forgiveness, we are doomed. Without Christ in your life, we are doomed. Without forgiveness, it isn't, gee, that we're just not as nice as we should be. We are lost. We are without God, the Bible says, and without hope. Without Christ, you are without God and without hope. We are a one-way headed ticket headed for perdition. It's not a pretty thing. When you start realizing this, man, you understand what it means to say, I'm saved. Saved means I'm saved from something. Right? Does that make sense to you? A lot of people, they use it so casual. The, the point of being saved is, you know, it's like being in a burning house and you're trapped and you cannot get out. And someone finally busts through and, and some fire guy, fireman grabs you and pulls you out and saves your life. You have been saved. I was saved by this fireman. I got something to say. I have been saved. You wouldn't just come out and say, yeah, my, my life's a little better than it was before. You know, it, it's not for everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to be too enthusiastic. You know, I, I was there, yes. I, I, I probably would have burned to death, I think, yes, yes. But not everybody wants to be saved. You know, so I say, hello, dude. That's one of the reasons why people say, what is the matter with you guys? Why are you so excited? We got saved. We got saved. Our life pulled out of sin, out of destruction, out of death. And all of a sudden, hoochie mama, I got a life. God has saved me. I'm excited about this. And people don't get it. When they come into a service like this and see you guys clapping and singing and waving your hands, most people who have not been saved look at you and think, you're all crazy. You are. You're nuts. You're not. Now, consider these very same people will be in a seat at Lambeau Field. <laughs> and they are great worshipers there. They raise their hands. They might even say, Hallelujah! They love the person next to them. How you doing? Woo! Have you been, you know, you turn around and you hug the guy next to you and you have no idea who he is. He could have heebie-jeebies, man, and you get them. But they're worshiping and celebrating. Why? Because of, you know, because Kabir killed somebody. Kill him again, Kabir. In the name of Jesus. These guys, they're great worshipers. But when you show that kind of enthusiasm in this environment, they think you're nuts. Because the ball makes sense to them. The team's battling it out makes sense to them. But they don't understand. What are you excited about? What's the celebration? The celebration is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was in death, and now I have life. I was in a burning building, and I've been pulled out. I have been saved by the grace of God. He says, this is what's great about the law, the Ten Commandments. It shows you, dude, you need to get saved. All right? We're all there. Okay. So he goes on. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. That he considered me faithful. Appointing me to this service. He's, he's, man, what he's saying is I thank God's called me to this. I thank God for calling me to this. Now you've got to understand Paul had an absolutely miserable life. Miserable life. So what do you mean? He was constantly arrested. The snot beaten out of him. Thrown in jails. People hated him persecuted him he at one point said man if there's no resurrection from the dead we are of all men most miserable why this is hard now we don't have we don't experience anything like this guy experienced but i'm telling you he had a rough life when jesus called him you know how we say come to jesus your life will be better which in many ways is true but when jesus called paul he says follow me i'll show you what great things you have to suffer that's what jesus told him he called him safe, get safe. I'm going to show you how miserable you can be. Praise God, I'll sign up for that. I mean, how many people would sign up for that? <laughs> the guy was called to suffer from the get-go. And what he says is, I thank God for calling me to this. 
Oh, that's amazing. Even though, and he, and he considered it a great honor to be called to this life of suffering and proclaiming the gospel and you know, all the stuff that he went. I mean, Paul, man, if you hung, you wouldn't want to travel with Paul. You know, most people come into town, they look for a nice hotel. He'd check out the jails first because that's where he's going to end up. You hop on a, on, a, on a boat with Paul, what happens to the boat? It sinks to the bottom of the sea. I mean, this guy. And if you make it to the, to the land and you start a fire, what happens to Paul? A snake reaches out and bites him. This guy has had some really bad days. In fact, the, the heathens who were watching this, I'm, I'm telling you about the story about Paul, you know, on the shipwreck and something, they finally barely make it to land and then he gets together and he starts trying to get a fire for everybody and this poisonous snake bites out and bits, uh, jumps out and bites him and he shakes it off in the fire. The heathens looked at him and said, this is one big sinner. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's had this and this is still going to him, something really hates him. And they figured he, and then when he didn't die, then they actually thought he was a god. Started saying, he had to calm him down, but anyway. He had a rough life. It was painful, it was hard, at times extremely disturbing, and he was filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. We read in Philippians how he said, I have learned the secret to be content in whatever situation I am. Whether I have plenty or jack squat, I'm a content boy. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He loved it. And he says, I thank God for calling me to this. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. A blasphemer of what? Of Jesus Christ. He wasn't a blasphemer of God. He was a very strict Jew. They did not do that. In fact, Paul writes again in Philippians that we just finished. Um, you know, as far as the Old Testament law, he says, I was perfect. I did not violate those laws. I mean, he was real. But in terms of Jesus Christ, he blasphemed Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church. Um, uh, he was the first, he was the one under his authority, they killed Stephen, who was the first martyr. And he had so much approval that he got permission to go from city to city and arrest and, and persecute and kill Christians. This is who Paul was before he got saved. He says, even though I was all that, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me mightily or, or abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ. Jesus. And he says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What is that saying? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to pull us out of the fire. That's why he's here. That's why he came. It's to save us from our sins. He came to save his people from their sins. The Lamb of God who would make it right between us and God. He was the one who would catch people in the worst of sinful conditions and he would forgive them and give them grace and say, go and sin no more. A redeemer, a savior. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, he says. Now, again, here's a guy who from a religious standpoint was about as perfect as you can get. And what is his view of himself? Of all the sinners in the world, I am the worst. Why would he think in those terms? Man, when you get that personal revelation again of being pulled out of that fire, you realize without God, you are hopeless. You say, well, aren't some people better than others? Yeah. But it's, before God, it's just irrelevant. It's, I've used this example before. It would be like if you take the worst sinner here, like Pastor Lathan, and, <laughs> and, and, and dig the deepest pit you could find and put the worst sinners down in the deepest pit that mankind could possibly dig before it's too hard, hot to dig anymore. And then you took the, the most holiest guy you know, like Pastor Gary, and put him on top of, of, the, of the highest mount of Mount Everest, and you put him up at the top. And then everybody else in all the different places, the worst sinner and the best. And then you look at them all, say, okay, now you guys reach up and touch the stars. Well, it's irrelevant. I don't care how high you are, how low you are, nobody can touch a star. It's just too far. That's what it's like between us and God. Without forgiveness in our life, I don't care how nice you are, how good you are, how much your mama told you you were a good boy. Without God in your life, you're headed to hell. It's just the reality of it. Mankind is lost. But for Jesus who came to save us from our sins. And here's a guy by every right would be considered one of the holiest guys on earth. But he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Why? Because when you realize 
reaching out. It means nothing. Any of our righteousness, what we think we can do on our own, doesn't mean jack squat. That's why grace and mercy is so important. He says, so I'm the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might be displayed, uh, might display his unlimited patience (laughs) as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What an amazing thing. I mean, here's a pretty humble guy. Again, by any of our standards, he's one of the holiest guys you'd ever meet in your life. But he says, man, God saved me. And, and as a result of him working in my life, he shows how patient he is with people. Well, if that's true with Paul, that's got to be really big with me. God's really got to be patient. <laughs> what a testimony. God puts up with Marky. What does that mean? That means there's hope for you. That's what it means. With our fallings, our, sh- our shortcomings, our impatience, God is glorified. And I'm telling you, the beauty of Christianity is when you who are human and we who have failed and uh, and it doesn't matter how much money you got how little you got whether you live in Stevens Point whether you live here in Green Bay it doesn't matter where you live but that your life can mean something because of his love in you when people start noticing that wow that is impactful it really is um, it's not just enough I don't think it's just enough to go around and just tell people hey you're going to hell you know, that might be a revelation for some, and you might even convince some. But it, if you look at the fruit of that, at the end of the day, most people, it doesn't really change them. It's got to be more than that. We've got to walk in love towards people and kindness. And, and we all balance that out. You know, some people are so loving, they never tell anybody anything. What good is that? That's not any good either. Uh, it's, you know, just running around yelling at people. Hi, you're going to hell! What's wrong with you? It's not usually effective evangelism. <laughs> what it is, is people have to say, this guy is a jerk. That's all they'll say. Okay. On the other hand, people are so nice and so sweet and they never say anything. Everybody around them dies and goes, hell, what's the point of that? You know, so we got to kind of work this out, this balance. And, and we're not, and some of us are different. Some of us are more contra- confrontational than others. Be who you are. That's all I say. But the reality is, it's not just truth. It's truth and grace. Truth and grace, the Bible says, have kissed each other. Two things that are completely opposite from each other. In Jesus, they kissed. He became the perfect balance of truth. This is what's right. And grace that covers, forgives, gives mercy and understanding. Powerful stuff. As Christians, we need to walk in truth and grace. The truth of the matter is most people like Christians just walking in grace. And they get mad at us when we walk in truth. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They like you as long as you never challenge their thinking. The minute you say anything to them, look what you're doing is wrong, you know, you're going to be judged. And then they'll hate you. Well, you know, even though you're not being obnoxious, the truth is people love the grace side, they hate the truth. <laughs> you know, on the other hand, there's people who just use t- truth and beat the snot out of people. And, and that's ineffective either. It's really the balance of the two. And we all grow in our faith and struggle with that. But we've got to talk about the truth. But we also have to walk in grace. The reality is, in Christ, that's possible. They seem totally opposite. You can't do the both. And some churches really believe that. Some churches only preach truth. You're all going to hell. Hurry up now and get there. You know, they're just miserable. They're miserable churches that just take truth and beat the life out of people. And they wonder why more people don't get saved. Because you're a drag. Who wants to be like, why don't you be like me? I don't want to be like you. You're twisted inside, all mad all the time, hitting people. Then there's churches that are on the extreme. All they ever talk about is just mercy and grace and never talk about truth. People live still in sin, never learn how to walk in victory in Christ because they don't think the two are possible. I know it's possible because in Christ it's possible. In my life it's possible. You can do this. In our church, you can do this. We can talk about the truth and we can still walk in grace at the same time. And at times it seems like a little bit of a juggling act, but God helps us by the Holy Spirit to get this right. And truth and grace have kissed each other. That's the power of Christianity. Whew, pretty cool stuff. All right. Good preaching, Pastor Mark. Don't worry. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) The boy is an egomaniac. All right, moving on. Um, now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only God be honor 
and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why is he praising God? Because this wonderful God, he's the one who makes this happen. He's the one who gives us this world of grace and truth that works so well together. He's the one who saved a sinner like me, he said, so that he could be glorified and show his patience to everybody else by putting up with me. Wow. So Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit. Prophecies. What are prophecies? Um, in, in the New Testament, the word prophecy uh, is, is really a, a, describes a spiritual utterance. Someone can prophesy and speak truth to you. In a sense, when I speak truth to you as a pastor preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I'm prophesying to you. I'm speaking God words to you. Okay? So that, that is true. Some prophecies literally will have something to do with proclamations of what's going to be happening in your in your life um you know i don't have that gift but there's people who have that gift they look at you and they come up to you and they they'll hold your hand look in your eye and say you know i believe god and they'll just speak life into you and they'll say i know god has a plan for you sometimes people get very specific the holy spirit will really anoint them and say i know your life stinks right now but someday you're going to touch millions of people's lives. i mean who knows whatever it is what these these prophecies that god will speak into people's lives i would that we had more of that demonstrated uh, in the church the good news is that it doesn't have to have to happen from here a lot of times people will you know have, go to some preacher who's really anointed by the holy spirit and does that kind of stuff um i don't think the gifts of the spirit were just for televangelists or somebody like that are you hearing me it's for the body of christ i think some of us need to be a little bit more flowing in the holy spirit and, and get some of these gifts um i'm gonna talk more about this next week but pastor lathan's going to be doing a class on on the gifts of the holy spirit if you haven't been through that class you really ought to go I said, well, I don't want to miss this. If you come to this, because it's at the same time as this. If you go to his class, uh, we'll give you a free CD of every one of these things so that you can listen to them in your car and catch up with everybody else in our study. But if you, if you haven't done that, you ought to go and learn about the Holy Spirit and some of the gifts that he does and, and some of the cool things. A fabulous teaching. We're not going to get into that tonight. But um, Timothy, people had, uh, had spoken prophecies over him about his life. And he says, the instruction I'm giving you is in keeping with those prophecies once made about you. So that by following them, you may fight the good fight. He says, I am, what I'm doing is I'm giving you practical instruction that's in line with what has been spoken over you by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. Again, it's a personal letter to Timothy. And that's what we're reading. We can learn from it, even though it was personal to him. Um, He says, holding on to the faith... Uh, so, that, so that you might fight the, fight the good fight, he says, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Now some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What's he talking about now? Now that's when we, we got some insight in because there's another place in the Bible and you can kind of check it out. Back up to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. First Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We're going to take a look at what is he talking about? He handed these guys over to Satan. What is that about? First Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse one. Paul is shocked and appalled and said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Paul obviously has never been to Green Bay. I'm telling you, we live in a world today, if you're shocked about sexual immorality, it's what's shocking to me is that people are not shocked about sexual immorality in their own lives. I mean, it's just amazing. So now here we go. Truth, don't worry, I'll come with the grace right behind it. But the truth is, you should not be having sex with anybody who's not your husband or your wife. And I teach this and I talk about it. And it's like, to a lot of people, it's kind of like talking to the wall. And, and I get it. And that's, that's fine. You know, the, the truth is, um, the, if you think of the church like in three circles, you've got your core here of really committed believers. Then you've got the next core that is getting close to the first core. That's pretty much this group tonight. 
there's the core of you here and then some of you that you're growing and you're really hungry for God and that's why you're even at church on a Wednesday night. Now your friends will think you're a little crazy. Okay? You go to church more than once on Sunday? What did you do wrong? Okay? Uh, uh, and then you've got the outside circle. And the reality is it's probably more a picture like this, this, and this. It just is. You've got this big outside circle uh, of people who come who they're just not here or here yet. And, and we need to be careful. And I need to be careful as I teach, you know, that I don't beat them up too hard. Uh, uh, and that's why you've got to keep talking about the mercy and grace. But you still have to talk the truth. Some churches, they're so afraid of offending the big circle, they never talk the truth. I think the big circle can handle the truth if you keep showing them the path of grace. And how God can help you get there. But you still have to talk the truth. And there's a lot of people out there. You know what's interesting though? You know who invites the most people to church? This one, this one, or this one? It's the big circle. They're the ones who invite most people to church. You know why? They still have friends that don't go to church. It's true. Some of you guys who are here, you haven't invited anybody to church in ages. Because you don't know anybody. Everybody you know is in church. They are. That's okay. That's, I mean, you know, you need to stretch a little bit, you know, you know, do a million dollar bill to somebody once in a while. I don't know, whatever the deal is. We can, but the reality is you're just not connected to the rest of the world. And, and the closer you get to church, the more this gets like this. And it just, it is what it is. The next group's here and already your family pretty thinks you're nuts and they're quit talking to you. Okay. And that's why you show up on a Wednesday night. Okay. And then you got these guys, everybody's still talking to them. And they're the ones going, here's a cool church. Y'all come check this out. Y'all come check this out. Yeah. And, and you get all kinds of people. On a Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Were you here Sunday morning? The place was packed to the walls. I mean, and are most of those people this? No. Were they this? No. There was a lot of this. Who for some reason the moon and the stars lined up and they all decided to go to church at the same time. This is it. I don't know why. If, if really if everybody showed up that considers this their home church at the same time, we'd really have a problem. You know, there's got to be at least 3,000 people. Easy. In the city, probably more, who consider Bayside, Celebration Bayside, their church. You know, and just for some reason they all showed up on Sunday. But these are the people who go to church when they, moon and the stars line up. And there's no Packer game. (laughs) (laughs) It is what it is, you know. Now some of you ought to get up and you ought to yell at those people for not coming to church more often. It wouldn't do any good. They're still out here. They're looking at faith. They're dancing around faith. You know, and they're hoping nobody else notices them over here, you know, and, and they're kind of, praise God. <laughs> you know, and it just, it just is what it is. Now, there's some people way out here, they don't live real Christian lives. They're doing all kinds of unbelievable things you shouldn't be doing. Okay, and again, you still teach the truth and, and, and grace along with it. But the reality is, is, it's just there. Now, the closer you get in, the more we should get serious about our faith. Truth is, I think in Paul's day at this time, you didn't have a big circle. People made a big jump. When they became Christians back in those days, there wasn't the comfort zone out here where they go. You know what I'm saying? They just either got in or they got out. And they took the core really seriously. When you jumped in, you were like, and, and, and life was very serious for them. And, and in that core of the church, and pretty much anybody who was there was only the core. It was just the way they approached faith back then. You know, it, To be identified with Christians at all in that day was a huge statement. Some of them, they, they did it at, 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 they knew they could lose everything. They could lose their lives. Some of them knew, if I connect with these people, it could cost me my life. There wasn't a whole lot of, it was just, okay? And when you hear him talking about the church, uh, they were pretty strong, pretty strict at times. Uh, And whereas we get, because nowadays you can dance around Christianity and it's safe. Nobody's going to kill you. The worst is your friends quit talking to you. Yeah, which is a big deal for a lot of people. Just going through that is traumatic. How many of you know when you first went through that, that was traumatic for you? You actually went through that point where people quit talking to you. And, and if some of you freaked out. A lot of people had jumped back to the comfort of that. 
And they pull away from Jesus for a while. But God keeps dealing with you and drags you back over. And at some point you're like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, you guys aren't so bad. And they get new friends. But that's, that's a big step for us. Some of you are right there right now. You're just still on that. You're not quite. And it's very uncomfortable. But that's, that's totally different one than what these guys dealt with. It was a major deal. So their core, and when you became a Christian, it was usually a very big, serious statement. You say, well, why would people do it at all? Because the power of God was moving so powerfully in their midst. These were people that miracles happened like crazy. And they would see, you know, the life that was coming out. They so lived a life that was so powerful, even though they were physically miserable. That's the key. It wasn't just like, you know, look at this in Green Bay. Everything's wonderful for me. I have a nice house. I thought these people at times were physically miserable, but they shined so brightly and were full of so much of God, people would go, I want to be like that. Even though it could cost them everything. Fascinating dynamic. Anyway, so anyway, so here he is. He's freaked out that there's sexual immorality reported among them because there wasn't a lot of this out here. Okay, here is his. And, he's, and then he goes on, he says, and not just sexual immorality, but a kind that doesn't even occur among the pagans. What was that? A man has his father's wife. So there's some guy in the church, and again, remember, that's a pretty tight group, that is sleeping with his stepmom. And Paul is appalled and amazed about it. They knew it. It's one thing when you walk around in secret sin. I mean, you know, we get a lot of that, especially out here. We got all kinds of people in just... We hear every once in a while, it just makes your head spin. But, but people, that's one thing. But when everybody knows about it, it was plain to everybody in this core, in this tight group, that this guy was having sex with a stepmom. And, and Paul says, holy stinking cow. What are you guys thinking? And then he says in verse 2, and you're proud. Well, they weren't proud of the fact that he was doing that, but they were proud. They thought they were so spiritual. When he reads, starts at the beginning of Corinthians, we'll get there someday, doing Corinthians, they're just, we're very spiritual, we're praise God, hallelujah, we're really something special, hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah, we're going to church on Wednesday night, hallelujah. All right? They were arrogant about it. And he says, you're proud and arrogant about your faith, and you're tolerating this kind of behavior from someone who's in this group? He was freaked. He says, shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and put this guy out of your fellowship than the man who did this? They would routinely kick people out of that core if they didn't live the life. Um, and we will do that sometimes. You know, it takes a lot for us to kick you out, out of the core. I mean, if you're a core person involved in ministry and working with young people and, and part of the church and, and church leadership, and then you turn out to be doing something like that, we'll kick you out of ministry. You know, we won't just throw you out of the church per se in general, depending on what you're doing. But, uh, um, you know, back then, they were, they'd kick him out, man. And usually just that act alone would create such grief because they so loved this circle that when they were forced out of the circle, it just brought such unhappiness to them. It would usually cause them to repent. Just that alone. That's why the Bible talks about that. We don't really have much of that dynamic today. We just honestly don't. A lot of places you can behave very badly and they'll kick you out of the circle and most people are like, ah, I don't care. And they'll just join another church that'll let them in their circle. You know what I'm saying? But back then a lot more limited options. It really meant a lot uh, to be kicked out. He should have kicked this guy out who did this. And then Paul says this, and even though I am not physically present with you, I am in spirit. And I have always passed, I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. In other words, I, already, I know what to do with this guy. And he says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. Oh, so they would literally get together and pray. As, as, a, as a body of believers, they'd get in the presence of God, in the spirit of God, and say, Lord, we pray for Johnny. And we just release him right now, and we turn him over to the devil. Why would they do such a thing? Whoa. I hope no one ever prays that prayer for me. <laughs> you know, this, this is like, holy stinking cow. Why would you do that? He says, so that... The sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit may be saved on the Lord on the day of the Lord. In other words, turn him over to the devil so he just beats the life out of him. And he becomes so miserable, he will repent. Because ultimately, in the end, all that matters is if you're really saved. He says the point of this 
you know, who cares if everybody just loves you in the circle? This isn't helping the guy. He's still sinning blatantly. Everybody knows it. No one's confronting him on it. You need to kick him out. Not only kick him out, just turn him over to the devil. Let him live under that power for a while. So that it will bring repentance. It wasn't just about being mean. But this was a serious prayer that they would pray. And they would turn this guy over to Satan. And, uh, and when you read 2 Corinthians, you'll see that it worked. And the guy repented. And uh, pretty strong stuff. You can get back over to 1 Timothy. But uh, um, this is what Paul did with uh, Hymenius and Alexander. He said, who I handed over Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I don't know. I don't know specifically what they were doing, but something was blasphemous as Christians. And again, these guys were very, very strict. And you really go over the line like that, they would literally turn you over to Satan himself to be destroyed. I'll tell you this. If God forbid I was ever in a place like that, where I was blatantly sinning and I didn't care what anybody thought and I had become so hard in my heart, I would rather that you did that to me than not do that to me and I just stayed where I am. Does that make sense to you? I would rather go through a miserable, 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 miserable experience and repent and turn back to God. Like the the prodigal son who, who went out there and he was having a great time, but then things... It wasn't when he was having a great time that he repented. You remember the story? If you don't, trust me. (laughs) He, <laughs> there was this, Jesus told a story about this guy he was one of the brothers in the house and he says dad give me my money my inheritance in advance and then he went out and partied and everybody loved him the more money you got the more friends you got everybody loved him but then he ran out of money and everything became bad for him and he couldn't get a job and all he could do the only job he could do was feeding slop to the pigs And Jesus said, he became so hungry, he began to envy the pigs, what they were eating. And he would see the slap and and, and he could just grab a piece of it himself. And the Bible finally says, he came to himself. He came to, did he come to himself when he had all the money? No. Did he come to himself when everybody loved him? No. Did he come to himself when everything was great? No. It wasn't until he hit bottom. Sometimes you need to hit bottom. And, and, uh. Well, I, I'll tell you, there's a word right there for, for, for some of you who have kids. You know, they're older kids at home and you're, you keep propping their life up and propping their life up. And that's okay and great, but at some point, you need to let them go. Say, well, they're, they're not getting it together. You need to let them hit bottom. Sometimes love is not making it safe for them to keep going the wrong way. Does that make any sense to you? Love, tough love, where you just made them hit bottom and then they come to themselves and say, good grief, what am I doing? And that's when he came back to his father I would rather if that were to happen God forbid in my life that people loved me enough to turn me over to the devil that I wind up just at the bottom to where I snap out of the insanity and go what am I doing with my life and and come to myself and come back to God so that I can in the end be saved the point is in the end to be saved so what sounds like a really 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 mean thing to do was really motivated uh, by love for these people. Powerful, powerful stuff. Now, again, we don't do that to everybody out in the circle. If we did that to everybody out here, we'd be turning over all kinds of people all day long to the devil. Uh, what's your name? Your first time visitor? Okay, let's turn you over to Satan. Uh, yes, not, <laughs> nice to visit. Yes, nice. Yeah, your name again? Yes, well, pray for you tomorrow. And just, you know, you don't do that. You know, you just, this is this group. Leadership, truly committed to Christ, and then you turn your back on Christ. Uh, the truth of the matter is, as we move and grow in a church, we'll always be surrounded. Hopefully, God willing, by all kinds of people who are way out on the edge and who are just testing the water. And, and, and a lot of times they're checking to see how you'll respond to them. Might be some guy covered from head to toe in, in tattoos. Might be somebody who, who openly admits they're gay. And they'll see how you respond. And see, oh, they're going to just hate me. They're going to hate me. You know, the thing is, we should just love those people. We should love everybody. You say, would you tolerate that in here? No. No, because the Bible is very clear about that. But nobody, everybody's here. We can love them. And love them in spite of the way they act. Thank God. Jesus loved us in spite of the way that we acted. You know. 
Thank God there were churches that loved us in spite of the way we acted. Thank God my wife loves me in spite of the way I act. You can go all the way down the line on this deal. But, uh, um, you know, so that kind of intense church discipline is really not... Sometimes people think you should just go after all these people out here. and Just tell them, ah, they're not living right. Ah, right, right. No, no. Calm down. Calm down. It'll be fine. The apostles were like that. Remember, they were walking along one day and there were some guys out there and they decided not to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them alive? These were the, do you remember this story? And Jesus looked at him and said, you morons. No, he didn't say that, but that's what I would have said. He said, you go, what are you talking about? You don't even know what spirit you're from. You don't do that, you know? Uh, looking at where people are at and stuff like that. So where you're at has everything to do with how strong you would deal with somebody in terms like that. Okay, uh, we'll stop here and we'll pick it up at chapter two for next week. Let's have the ushers come forward. And we'll get ready to take our offering tonight for those of you who give on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and uh, thank you for continuing to be faithful and supporting us in, in the work that we're doing. God is doing some incredible, wonderful, exciting things. You have no idea how disciplined, I'm amazed at how disciplined I have been these last four weeks in my life. Because usually I can't keep my mouth shut, my mouth shut about anything. And, and when I finally get to go ahead and I can finally tell you, you are going to cheer. There are some, if it all happens, there are some incredible things on the edge of phenomenal opportunities that right now they're kind of dancing around the edge at us, you know. And we're waiting for them to jump in. And then I'll tell you and we'll all go nuts. But God is doing some great, exciting things. The church is growing, the opportunities for us. If the future gets any brighter, I'm going to have to wear sunglasses. Hallelujah. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word, for your truth, for your grace, for loving people like us. Help us to love others. God, we pray that you will take this money, help us to uh, be faithful, and then to take this money and use it for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.